I am light. I am oxygen. I am energy. I am life. Feel the way its truth resonates with your inner consciousness. Feel it. Beyond being a vessel of energy or just the body you have, you are the living essence of the universe. Today, I have Sage Dyer with me, who is a 31-year-old woman from New York City. Sage grew up in Boca Raton, Florida, and moved to New York, where she graduated from NYU with a master's degree in psychology. She is the co-author of the new book, The Knowing, which explores how she was able to return to her the teachings of her father, Dr. Wayne Dyer, after he passed away. She has published a children's book titled Goodbye Bumps that tells the true story of how she was able to heal herself as a child through the power of the mind. Sage often traveled with her dad to speak to his audiences, and she recently appeared on his PBS special. Sage is a mother of her little boy, Julian, and she enjoys traveling, learning, and spending time with loved ones. Being the youngest of eight in her family, family is and always has been an important part of her life. Sage, I'm so excited to get to connect with you today. Yes, me too. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> We've been like literally trying to make this happen for a minute. And and, uh, and originally right. it was supposed to be both you and your sister and, and things that uh, changed today, which is fine. And, and we're like, all right, we're just going to go with it because it's divine alignment. We've been trying to make this happen for a minute. And um, honestly, I'm so honored to have you because I mean, I think for so many that obviously know your dad, I mean, his teachings are just, obviously, you know, he was, you know, he's your father, but I mean, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing when you actually really get into the mindset and the teachings of, you know, who he is and, and what he shares and, and, and what gifts, you know, he truly has had and, and shared with the world. I mean, I know for me, even just listening to his meditations in the morning and at night changed my life. Mm-hmm. No, it really is. Honestly, he was my dad, but I um, get so much out of his teachings and recordings and all that. Right now, I've I recently joined a gym, so when I'm on the treadmill, I listen to um, his. There's a spiritual solution to every problem. It's like a lecture he gave, not the audio book, but a lecture, and it's. I mean, I feel so inspired by the end of my 20 minutes on the treadmill. It's crazy, way more so than I would when I listen to music. And um, so I grew up with it, but I still get so much out of it. Well, and like starting there, you know, growing up with it, like, were you always like spiritually awake because you like are his daughter or like, did it take time for you to kind of consume like the amazing wisdom he was giving you? Like, I'm so curious if you could kind of take us back to kind of growing up and having, you know, him as your father and having that in your childhood, because most of us don't. Right. No. Um, you know, I get asked that a lot and so it, it, there's kind of two ways to look at it. On one hand, yeah, I was sort of immersed in this sort of teachings. And some of it is just second nature to me because of the way that I was parented. And, you know, uh, my children's book that you touched on in the introduction is based on a, a just uh, just a briefly, I, I was able to heal myself of these um, flat warts that I had on my face by talking to them after I had them for years. And I, and, and I did it because my parents told me that I could do it, you know, so I believed that I would be able to heal myself of these, uh, these bumps that I had on my face. So that's an exact, like most people's parents are not telling them to talk to the warts on their face to Absolutely. get them to go away, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, my dad was heavy into some research and about um, how viruses, especially warts are alive and they have energy and um, they can listen when you ask them to do things. So, so I, uh, 
I, it was just like, I was six, no, I was eight years old. And so my parents told me I could. So I just believed I could. If, when you hear that, when you're like 25 for the first time, you're like, well, this is a little bit weird. So there's, there's that side of it. And then the other side of it is that, you know, my dad talked a lot about what happens after you die, um, how we're just, we're energy, how, you know, something is, our souls are birthless and deathless and how we come here with a round trip ticket and our, our death is divine. It's on time. You know, we shouldn't question it, things like that. Um, I definitely internalized some of that stuff, but it wasn't until my father died when I was 25 years old that I had ever lost somebody that was close to me. And like, you know, I had lost my grandparents and things like that, but this was like earth shattering for me. And it was at that point that I sort of took a look at my beliefs because I wasn't sure it didn't really apply to me until then. And, um, and after he died, I found myself really in the throes of grief, which I think is normal, what, no matter what your spiritual uh, background is. Um, but I would turn to his teachings and I would find myself thinking, but I don't know. I don't know if I totally believe that he's still here. I can't see him. I can't feel him. I can't talk to him the way that I could. Um, but then slowly over time, I, I, I had just uh, more and more spiritual encounters with him that were undeniable. And it, uh, it totally changed my belief. I really dove into his teachings. And I now know without a doubt that he's still here with me. Um, yeah. So it wasn't, it was, it was both. It was, I was in it, but I also had to learn for myself. So beautiful. I love that you shared that because even coming from someone like you, who this was in your life from day one, really, which most of us it isn't. And someone like you, who, you know, it was very much in your childhood and it was taught to you. Right. And you said like, it didn't really truly hit home and resonate until you kind of went through your own spiritual awakening of losing your father and having that earth shattered right. moment of like, wow, this is really showing me like, this is true. Like I feel him. I see him. I know he's here. Like I, you know, right. I think so many of us, when we lose someone like that, like I lost my grandmother and that's who my daughter Amelia is named after. And she was my very best friend on this earth. And I know she's very much with me on the other side. And for me, it was earth shattering as well. And I literally felt like my soul like was ripped away. Like a part of my heart literally hurt for like right. over a year, you know? And right. it was so wild to me. And at first I was of course, so angry with God and there was so much going on. And when I finally started being open and I had other people around me who was help, were helping me with that, it changed everything. I started getting signs all the time. And it was right. like said, undeniable at first. You're like, Oh, is that a coincidence? Yeah. There are no coincidences. Yeah. You know, it's like once you start right. to see it, you're like, no, that's you. No, that's also you No, that's in my face. And it's like, you really do start to awaken. And you're like, wow, there is so much more to this. And I love that you said that about like, you know, um, I think you phrased it as deathless and birthless. Yeah. Our, our souls are birthless and deathless. You know, they, we transition in and we into the physical and we transition out, out of the physical when we die, but um, it's just a transition and energy. It's not, it's not a death. It's not a birth. At least that's, you know, that's what I believe. And that's, it's, and about the coincidences, you know, my dad used to say um, a coincidence, it's the, it's the, comes from the term to coincide, which is a mathematical term that literally means two angles that fit together perfectly. And we've taken it to mean two things that happen accidentally. And I, I, I just was listening to my dad talk about that again. And he was saying how, um, you know, it's so hard for our egos to comprehend 
the like our, our minds and our egos to comprehend all these things because we don't know how to orchestrate these divine synchronicities these coincidences you know so we because we can't understand it we chalk it up to being an accident but if we could orchestrate them then we would know that these are this is divinely orchestrated you know um I just thought that was, that was, I love that. And I love that you shared yeah. that about the definition because you're right. There is so much right in our society that is so ego driven. That is so the mind that everything has to be quote unquote, you know, the truth and the facts. And it's like, but really we're learning now, I think, especially now how much really we've been shut off to how much really is maybe not truth. And it was just given as truth because that's what they wanted to make sense of it. But that's right. not really maybe what it is, whether that was malicious or not, who knows, but it's right it, it, to be seen. It's like I said, for people ask me, I'm like, it, regardless, it's like, how do you not question now when you start to awaken and see these things where you're like, wow, everything really is energy. There really is a frequency to everything. Like right. it changes your perspective. I know for me personally, like on everything, on the way I do things daily, on the way I look at things, like it's changed my life. Your dad's, um, one of his famous quotes, the one about when you look at things change. Um, yeah. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. It's so true. Game changer for me. Like literally yeah. that quote, like literally changed, like no pun intended, like changed the way I looked at everything, <laughs> like changed the way I felt things like just, and it resonated so deep in my soul when I read right. the quote from like the minute I read it. Right. Cause you were aligned to hear it. You know, I'm sure that you were already waking up to those ideas. It's like, you can hear things a million times and then one day it just hits home what it means. And um, what you were saying before made me think about, uh, we wrote about in the book how it's like, you. I, I contemplated this after I lost my dad. My whole world, I perceive through my five senses, you know, my sight, my my hearing, my smell, touch, taste. I think that's all of them. <laughs> um, and and uh, so you're, you're perceiving your whole world with these five senses and um, you just assume that that's all that there is because that's all that you, that's all that we as human beings that's are capable of mm -hmm. taking in. Yeah. But if you think about it, I mean, right now in this very room, there are like radio frequencies coursing, you know, if I turned on a radio and lifted up the antenna, I would pick up radio stations, but I don't feel those because I don't have the ability. I'm not a radio, you know, I don't have the ability to feel that. When you start to contemplate that, like how limited we are by these physical bodies, you just can't believe everything you see or think because your ability to perceive everything is so limited. I mean, we live in a massive, massive universe and we believe that we're, you know, I believe I'm sitting still on this chair in my apartment right now, but in reality, I'm sitting on a rock that's hurling through space and it's rotating on axes and um, it's just my perception, you know, and once you start, you can't change that. This is how we live, but you can start to recognize how, how little you're taking in and how much more there is out there. So when something seems too crazy to be true just remember that nothing's too crazy to be true you know there's nothing that's impossible in this world I love that well and that's a great segue into just kind of the book you know you and your sister decided to essentially write together how did this kind of come about how did you guys decide because I'm sure it was also not only I'm sure like surreal for you to write something about your father and, and go into this whole the knowing after, you know, losing him physically and going through your own grief and your own things, like, 
what what made you guys decide to write this? And can you share? Obviously, I've been reading it and I'm like, oh my God, this is the most amazing book ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but you. like can you you're welcome. But can you share like a little bit about kind of the inside of why you decided to, you know, do this together and write this book, what it kind of means to you. Like the, I would like to kind of, you know, the book itself, everyone can of course read. I think the title itself, the knowing like really shows you like, you know, what it's all about, but it's like, I think that, I think that, you know, I would want to rather dive into like the soul part of it and like what you really like, why you guys chose to go ahead and create it, why this was so important to you to put out in the world, because I think so many, especially now, could use it. Yeah, totally. Um, so basically, it was after my dad passed away. And um, like I said, I felt really called to his teachings. And I also felt really, really called to uh, write, to start writing my story and to put it out on paper. So I um I started to write, but it was more for myself. It was to be cathartic. It was to just take time and space for myself to to put my thoughts out on paper. And I did not intend to write a book. I just um, was experiencing some healing through writing. So I was doing that for several months. And um, it turns out Serena was doing the same thing, unbeknownst to me. And at a certain point, we decided to... Uh, you know, her and I were talking and she said, oh, I've been writing so much. And I said, so have I. And so she sent me what she had been writing and I sent her what I had been writing. And I called her and I said, we should just do this together. We should make a book because what we're writing aligns so much. I mean, some of it, it fit together so uh, nicely. And so it just sort of developed like that. It wasn't, we didn't set out for it to be that way else. I, like I said, I didn't even set out to write a book. I just started writing because like the, the night, the day my dad passed away, I couldn't sleep that night, you know, for obvious reasons. And I, I just started to write at like four in the morning and um, it ended up being what I used to give a speech at his uh, celebration of life was what I wrote that night. And I just felt inspired and healed when I would be writing. So I went with it and um after a little bit of time, actually, though, Serena and I decided to combine it. We spoke to some, you know, we obviously know people in the publishing world and the literary world. So we started to speak with people and we hired a literary agent. But um, at a certain point, we both kind of just like fell off and we lost our inspiration. And, you know, she's got three kids. I now have two kids. Um, the bio, it said only one. I just realized I need to update that. I had a baby four months ago. So I now have two kids. Thank you. And um, so things, life just got in the way a little bit, but it was actually when I found out that I was pregnant with my first son, who's two and a half. So like three years ago, uh, that I, I bought into this idea that, um, I had nine months until my shot at having a career was over. And so that is what gave me the, the motivation to get this book out there. And I contacted our literary agent and I told Serena, I said, I'm doing it with or without you. Cause I only have nine months and the clock is ticking. And so we, you know, we got a publishing deal and we got the book out there. Anyway, it turns out that none of that was true, that you can very much have a career after you have children. And um, I have found like a beautiful balance of both and it can be hard at times, but it's doable. And, but it was that belief, ironically, that made me get it, get the book out there, made us get the book out there. That was the push I needed. Yeah. And um, that, that whole, it was actually such a, big learning experience for me because I, I was married and I was in a position to have a baby, but it just, it happened so fast. I knew what we were doing, but I did not think 
that I was going to get pregnant. I just didn't think about it. You know, I thought we're married, let's start trying, but like, let's not really try. But then we got pregnant and it was like a shock to me um, that my life was going to change. And I bought into all these beliefs about how I wouldn't be happy. My life wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't be able to travel or enjoy the things that I used to enjoy. Um, And I spent my pregnancy, my first pregnancy, sort of believing all of those things. And after my son was born, it turns out none of that was true. You know, I found happiness and meaning in a totally different, in a different way. I don't want to say more profound, just a different stage of my life. And I also found uh, this because I had this about into this, the biggest thing I bought into was the idea that I needed to find my purpose before I became a mother. Mm. And now I realize that, you know, my purpose is uh, something that it's not going to be one thing in my life. Because I, I don't even like to, I used to think I have to find my one purpose. And now I like to think there is no one purpose in my life or anybody's life. Every stage of your life has purpose. Every day in your life has purpose. And some days it's just being a mother to my two kids. And some days it's doing interviews like this. And some days it's writing and all of it is my purpose. I feel on purpose. I feel more on purpose now than I did before I had kids and I have less time to myself. And it's just so crazy how um, your mind can convince you of these things that just aren't true. I love that you shared that because, you know, first off, I love that you really spoke to how those limiting beliefs kind of fueled you to get it done. But then as you went through it, you kind of had your own awakening to like, none of that was true. And that like, you didn't necessarily have to be rushed. Although of course I'm sure it was divine alignment, but at the same time, like you learned and I did too in motherhood. I think it's so interesting, especially for those that are really kind of spiritually awake. They really feel and go through that shift of like, this is actually not true at all. Like I actually, like you said, I actually do more. Somehow I'm more productive. Somehow I'm on purpose than I've ever been in my life. Somehow I'm connected more to my authentic self than I've ever been in my life. Like it's so wild how many moms I have conversations with who have these moments where they're like, oh my gosh, I thought one, it was over Two, I thought like I had to figure it out before this happened. And actually none of that's true. Again, it's what society has told us. And actually you wake awaken to yourself in a whole new way when you become a mother and you start to see like this is actually beautiful and I'm inspired by my children or my child and I'm more on purpose because of it and I step into my authentic because of it you know and it's I love getting to hear those kinds of stories because I I hear this this alignment and this synergy more and more with moms and it's like yes I love how many moms are like seeing things for like what exactly they really are versus what we're told and like you said going back to the beginning of this of even our senses, it's what we've been told. It's what we've been conditioned to believe. It's what we've been programmed. And the book, you know, really kind of dives into your knowing, hence the name, and your actual like soul essence of what really you're here for and what you are truly designed for versus what society tells you you're here for. Right. Yeah. I mean, a big part of that, I think, is surrendering, Um, you know, just to to jump off of the story that we were just talking about I had to surrender to this idea that I was pregnant and I was becoming a mom and my life was going to change. It wasn't until I did that, that I got into the flow. I mean, I'm really obsessed with lately this idea of just being in the flow, just going with the flow, you know, don't, 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 you know, when the universe is offering you resistance, uh, look at it, honor it, you know, 
go with the flow. It doesn't mean give up on your hopes and your dreams. It just means like, maybe there's a different path for you. My dad, I remember I was in the car with him one time and the song, um, I hope you dance came on the radio. You know, that song yeah, by Leanne Womack. And it's a beautiful song if you've never heard it. And it's full of all these cliche lines. You know, I hope you never fear those mountains in the distance, things like that. And he said, Oh, I just love this song uh, when it came on. And he said, I want you to listen to the whole song. And I want you to, uh, he said, there's one line in the song that I don't agree with, but every other line I, I think it speaks a, a real truth. He said, see if you can figure out which line it is. So we listened to the song and I don't remember if I got it right or not, but at the end of the song, he told me that the one line that he disagrees with in that song is when she says, I hope you never settle for the path of least resistance. Mm. And he said, because you should always take the path of least resistance. It doesn't mean taking the easy way out. It just means uh, surrendering to like the, the higher, when you surrender, you allow higher consciousness to speak to you, to speak through you. But when you're going at something with like, it's gotta be this way at this time, right now, sometimes you're just gonna be meet, met with more and more resistance because you're not flowing. Um, and I think we've all experienced that where it's like you're right. getting roadblock after roadblock. And then there are times when you're getting all green lights. Serena loves to say, you know, this whole thing about green lights. And our dad used to sign cards, love and all green lights. Um, I wish I, I wish for you nothing but love and all green lights, because that's when you're in the flow. You know, so when you're hitting these red lights, take a turn and try and, you know, get into that flow with the green lights, take that path of least resistance. Um, I feel like that's that's how my knowing has shown up for me lately is just uh, noticing when I'm resisting. Cause that's when you start to feel bad. It's like, well, why isn't, I want this. Why isn't it working out for me? Why this, why, you know, when you just say, okay, I know it's coming. If, you know, sometimes the things that are meant for us don't show up in the packages that we imagine them to show up in, but they still show up for us, you know? Um, so I've just been, really trying to live that in my life in the flow. I love that. And I think, you know, I mean, perfect example of us, you know, when we got on to record, you know, your sister couldn't right. you know, be here to be transparent to the audience, you know, and she had things right. going on. She's a mom. I get it. But we had originally planned a few times for us to make this happen yeah. between all of our schedules and things have changed. And, you know, we looked at each other and we're like, should we reschedule? Should we figure out? And we were like, no, you know what? Let's just go with the flow. And, you know, right. it, it's true. It's like, I love that you said that trust and surrender piece. I think that's another thing you really learn, at least for me in motherhood of that true trust and surrender. And I realized that even if things are crazy in my house, when things are going on, the more I do surrender, even to those crazy moments, the more things flow and just figure themselves out, the more I resist and I just know so we need this and we need to do this right now. Blah, blah, blah. It immediately has resistance. Like you said, it's immediately a red right. light. Like, nope, not happening. And right. it's so wild to me that I feel like I have way more on my plate now than I ever did in my life. Somehow I have way more inner peace. I have so much more knowing and I'm just mm -hmm. divinely guided. And I'm so grateful that I can tap into my higher consciousness so much more now than I ever knew how to before. I didn't even understand what a higher consciousness was like, you right. know, and it's just like, I just, I love that. And, and if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of like, even for your own self, but I know we spoke about trust and surrender, but a little bit of that higher consciousness, because I think for a lot of people, especially right now, who kind of are waking up in the world and they're questioning all kinds of things going on and they're trying to change things in their life and, you know, whatever it may be, like, how do people tap in that higher consciousness? Like, what does that mean to you as someone, especially who is, you know, Wayne's daughter? Right. 
Um, I mean, I think like there are just literal steps you can take to to tap into more of your own knowing. I think one of them is uh, just giving your time the space for silence. I think it was Herman Melville that said, God's one and only voice is silence. You know, my dad used to say, you can't, you can't divide silence. It, we live in the world of opposites, but silence has no opposite. You, well, it does, there's loud, there's, you know, noise or silence, but if you divide silence, you only get more silence. You know, it's an, it's almost like an infinite space. And um, so taking the time in your day, especially if you're a mother or a parent uh, to find, to just give yourself silence to meditate, you know, but meditating is really just sitting in silence. It's trying to turn your thoughts off and which is sort of impossible to do, but you can get better at it. It's a muscle, you know, because you sit down to be quiet and then you just start thinking about things. It's like when you're in the shower, I mean, pay attention to your thoughts in the shower because they get weird, but uh, you learn to turn that off or at least slow them down and have some space in between your thoughts. And um, I think that's just like a actual practical thing to do. I mean, we grew up with both of my parents were big meditators, especially my mom though. She had seven kids and she was one of the calmest, uh, still is one of the calmest, coolest people that you've ever met. And she, you know, she said she would get on planes with um, all seven of her kids and the wow. youngest five were all two years apart. So it would be like baby, two-year-old, four-year-old, six-year-old, eight-year-old, and then a couple teenagers. And she said people would be looking at her, rolling their eyes like, oh, God, this is going to be a long flight. And then people at the end would come up and shake her hand and say, oh, my God, I did not hear your kids one time. How do you do it? And she just said, children feed off of your energy. If you're calm, they will be calm. Mm -hmm. And she was always calm. <laughs> and um, so but she was an avid meditator. I mean, you could she the one thing she did every day was 20 minutes a day of meditation. If you the only reason we could wake her up is, you know, bleeding, things like that. But otherwise we knew not to disturb her. Questions could wait 20 minutes. You're, if you're hungry, you can wait 20 minutes, anything like that. And um, the the benefits really show in her. And, and my dad was really into meditation too. Before he died, uh, I was with him in Australia and New Zealand doing like a book tour. And um, well, he was doing a book tour and I was, <laughs> I was speaking on stage with him a little, but I was uh, mostly just enjoying Australia and New Zealand, but every morning he would come into my sister Sky and I's hotel room and do this meditation that said on repeat, it was like a mantra of, I am not the body. I am not even the mind. And um, after he died, I would find myself repeating those words a lot because I didn't know, I, you know, it was like, what do these mean? Like, you know what they mean, but like, what does it tell me? You know, and it gave me a lot of peace to just, um, contemplate this idea that you know when we die we weren't our bodies anyway and when we are feeling bad because we're thinking certain thoughts you know um we aren't our minds either we're more than both of those there's something else in there there's an essence there's a soul and um when you meditate and when you recognize that you're not your mind and you're not your body I think that is when you connect to that part of yourself that is higher consciousness that is the knowing that is the universe you know speaking through you um so you know i would i would say meditation and one thing that's been hard for me too that you know you want you you contemplate like okay but what about all those people who struggle what about all the suffering in the world you know um 
what about them? Are they connected to their higher, you know, how does that work? Why, why am I so privileged to have this ability to take time to better myself and other people don't? And I've struggled with that. Um, but one thing that my dad said a lot in his talks that I remember, try to remember, and that, that helps me with that idea is that uh, something that Ramdas said to him, which was that, um, starvation, starving people, starving children, suffering is a part of the perfection of the universe, but so is your desire to end it. Um, and so you go with that, you go with this idea that they're both part of the perfection of the universe, your ability to grow and better yourself betters everybody else. You know, it's a, it's, um, it's like a, what's the word I'm trying to think of? It's like a, a community or like a, we, we feed off of each other in that way. And um, so I've, I try to, th those are the two things that I grapple with, you know, it's like the meditation, bettering myself, all of that, but remembering that this is, this is available to anyone who seeks it. Not everybody is in a place where they're seeking it, you know, but when they do, it is there. Yeah. I love that. And I agree with you. I mean, look, I, you know, long story short on me, like I used to be someone who I was super on autopilot 24 seven, especially being a stylist and someone in the public eye and doing all these things. I was never, ever taking a minute to myself. I was kidding myself when I think I would meditate for five minutes. I never really was. My mind was going, I never actually tapped in. I just did what, you know, the app said to do or someone told me to do, but I wasn't right. actually tapping into myself. And I would say to myself like, oh, nothing's manifesting. Nothing's happening. This doesn't work. You know, and I would just like kid myself and my best friend who super into meditation and was always like very, very holistic and always natural. Like one of my very, very close friends, she would like try to like teach me and take me all this stuff. And I'd be like, oh, Steph, I can't sit for five minutes. Like you've got to be kidding me. This is a shit show. You know, it was like, I couldn't, could right. I'd be like twiddling my thumbs, like all the things. Right. <laughs> and now, you know, from my own practices and my own learning and my own journeys and awakenings, I can meditate, you know, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, sometimes even an hour. And I, I love it. And I crave it. I love that about your mom, because I yeah. feel like I'm a better woman. I'm a better wife. I'm a better mom. I'm a better Allie because I have meditation now. And mm -hmm. because I do breath work and I listen to sound frequencies and I found all these, you know, journaling and the list goes on. I found all these different modalities that help me right. to tap into that higher consciousness and be able to really step into that. And I love that you also said like, it really is there for everyone when you choose to awaken and tap into it. Right. It's not like it's just right. put in front of us, unfortunately, where it should kind of be in school and be like, let's do this and teach you, but yeah. maybe to come in the future, you know? But I mean, you right. know, it's like, we don't have these tools necessarily, even though they are within us, which is what I love about your dad is like, he always spoke about the gifts within us and how we were all tapped mm -hmm. in. And it was not just like, just him or other, you know, gurus, so to right. say, you know, it's everyone. It's just, if you choose to actually go there and allow yourself right. to really go away from the ego and say, it's not just the five senses. It's not just what they tell me. It's not just what I see. It's actually mm -hmm. what I feel. It's the knowing of what you spoke about, you know, and that's right. my own journey within this in the last few years, you know, like since like probably 2017, where I kind of my own awakening and just kind of got going and going and all different, you know, rabbit holes, we will and changes and and it's like, wow, this whole idea of like the knowing is really like where home is for all of us. Right. No, it is. And and what you said about the openness, it's it's so true. I mean, um, you said something earlier in the interview about when you were receiving so many signs from your grandmother and things like that. I've had a lot of people who read our book or just friends so that I've seen my posts say like, um, and Serena has as well, 
you know, I, but well, I don't receive signs from my, uh, like, I, I'll give a specific example. My friend, her father passed away when she was 16. She said, I never really get signs from him. I don't know. You know, that's that. And then she read our book and she, um, I didn't know she was reading it and whatever she got married. I wasn't able to go because I had like a one month old. This was a few yeah. months ago, yeah. but she called me after the wedding weekend and said, you know, I have to tell you that uh, your book has opened me up to my father again, who died 16 years ago. She said, I never thought to look for him anywhere. And, and so I just wasn't open to it. And she said, since I read your book, I made the intention to receive signs from him. And she said that since that day, she had seen a monarch butterfly every single day of, you know, and, and on her wedding day, uh, she, she walked down the aisle and a monarch butterfly trailed her oh. down the aisle. And she knows that it was her father, but prior to that, she just wasn't open to it. So those monarch butterflies were there, you know, and there were other signs as well that she told me about it those things were happening. But if you, if you're not paying attention, it just goes right over your head that like with the five senses, if you're just seeing what's in front of you, then that's what you're going to get. Um, my dad used to say, you know, you'll see it when you believe it. It's not, you'll believe it when it's not, I'll believe it when I see it. You'll, you have to believe in it first. You have to ask for it. You have to be open to it. And um, so, yeah, it's not, it's not a privileged few that get this sort of um, spiritual awakening signs from their loved ones. It's, it's you, you've got to tap into it you, it's a choice. You have to turn it on every day. And I will just be completely honest. I'm not always turned on and tapped in, you know, I'm a, we're all human beings. So we get, we get caught. I get caught up in the humanness of my life too. Um, human emotions. I get overwhelmed with two little kids, things like that. It's just taking the time to tap back in, you know? Um, and that's what I try to do when I can. Yeah, I love that you share that vulnerability and thank you for being so honest and open because of course, like you said, we're all doing our best as humans, especially now in a crazy world. And, you know, I think that you, like you said, it's a choice, right? You choose to step into that. You choose to continue to practice that, to show up in that, to embody that. And I also love that you said, you know, you'll, you know, you, you see it because you believe it, not the opposite. Mm -hmm. And, and again, we've been taught that when you, you know, when, when you see things that that's when you can believe it. And it's actually, again, not true. It, it's when you really right. tap in and you feel it and that knowing and that belief and that resonance of like God and source, you, you just know, you know, it's like, I tell people right. all these things when they question me about certain things, I'm like, they're like, well, how could you, how could you know? And I'm like, I just do. And you don't have to, right. but like, I do, like, I know for a fact, that is my truth. And that is exactly where I align. And I don't question it, you know? And, right. and it's, so interesting when you do come across others who are just not awakened yet, or they're not choosing to see. And I love that story of your friend, because you're right. It's when you're open. I have that in my family too. I see two, two, two all the time for my grandmother, among other signs. That's the biggest one. And when I shared that with my family years ago, others in my family that were open started seeing it. And then there were others who never did. And they'd always say, it's so weird that only some of you see, you know, the two, 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 I guess she doesn't come around. I'm like, she absolutely comes around to everyone. You just aren't, right. you're not open. You're not, you're like, you have blinders on. You're not allowing yourself right. to see them. And I know for a fact, my uncle was missing them all the time and he still doesn't see them. And it's so wild to me. Cause I'm like, she's in front of you all the time, but you're just right. not seeing it. And you question, right? Like yeah. you, 
even my own mom, you know, she has moments, she dips in and out. It's like, you know, sometimes she'll get really like, oh my gosh, my hotel room was this number. And I saw this and it's her mom, you know? And it's like, so the three of us were like three peas, you know, in a pod. And, and it was mm-hmm. we were super, super close to three of us, like, she, you know, and would do everything together. And so it was devastating for both of us in different ways when she passed. Cause she was like a second mom to me and she was right. my mom. And so right. it was, you know, the relationship itself and everything was really hard and hurt my mom and I as a relationship and all of that. And so anyways, you know, basically like fast forward, I was really getting signs. I was so open. I went from being so closed and angry, just so open. She kind of stayed closed and angry and, and sad and everything. And it took her so much longer to see things. And then when she finally did, she started seeing them. And then it was so interesting. It was almost like she almost didn't want to believe or she couldn't believe. And it was like the questioning of like, is that really, is that really? And then she would get another sign. It was like, there's the music, this from her childhood. And I'm like, mom, do you see? She's confirming for you. Like this is definitely a real sign. You know, it's just, yeah. It's also such evidence too, of another thing that like my dad taught and many spiritual teachers uh, talk about is that what you put your attention on expands and grows. So once your mom put her attention on these signs that she was getting and her attention just on the energy of her mom, your grandmother, it started to show up for her more because it's expanding. You know, if you sit in your home and you think about how miserable you are, you're going to find more things to be miserable about. Um, And if you sit and you think about all the things you could be grateful for, you're going to find more things to be grateful for. You know, you're going to find what you're looking for in life. Um, for better or for worse is and it's funny what you said about the numbers too because my dad was so into numbers like you said the two 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 when he was alive he loved synchronicity through numbers and I have a whole really cool thing that happened for me with numbers because I'm into numbers too I'm a math person it's always been my best subject and um my dad was really into seeing the clock at 11 11 he loved the number 18 for all sorts of different spiritual reasons and so when he passed away I just felt like there would have to be a significance to the date. You know, I felt like that was going to be my proof. You know, if if this was real and everything my dad taught in life was true, then he wouldn't just die because his death was um, sudden. So I felt like if that was on purpose, there would be meaning behind the date. I don't think that that has to be true for everybody, but it's just something I felt inside that it would be true for my dad. And um. I couldn't at first figure it out, uh, but then I eventually did. And to give a little backstory, my dad grew up uh, without his father. His father left when when he was born. Um, his mother brought him home from the hospital and his dad never came back. He, so he never met his dad, but he was alive and um, he ended up marrying somebody else and having more kids, but my dad could never find him. He spent, um, once he was like an adolescent and a teen, he spent years trying to find him. He just wanted to have a conversation with him. You know, do you care about me? Do you love me? How could you leave me? Things like that. My dad had two brothers also. And because of the way his dad left, they wound up in foster care and orphanages and stuff like that. So he really left my grandmother, my dad's mom in a tough spot. She had three boys that were like four years old and younger. And um, she had to put them into foster care and all of that. So he grew up hating this man looking for him, but hating him, cursing him. And um, he had so much anger in his heart for him. And he, when he was uh, in his thirties, he still believed at one point that his father was alive. He had been searching and searching for him. And he came to find out that his father had died and he had been dead for several years and he didn't even know it. He wasn't notified. He was, you know, nobody even knew to reach out to these three sons that he had. And so when my dad was like, I believe he was 35, he um, 
figured out where his father's grave was. He didn't know that for a while. He found out where it was. And by a series of really crazy coincidences that I don't want to say because I might get them wrong. They're in his book. I can see clearly now. Um, he wound up at his father's grave. He was able to find mm-hmm. it and he had it. It was in Biloxi, Mississippi, and he had a, a work trip down there. And so he ended up going to the grave. And um, on the day that he planned to go to the grave, his intention was to go there and to literally piss on his father's grave, you know, to, uh, to get out all his anger and to to tell him all the reasons that he failed him. And so he did that. He went to the grave and he got out his anger. He screamed at him. He cried. He yelled. He cursed him. Um, and then he went to leave. And as he was walking back to his car, still feeling all this rage for his father, um, something happened to him and something came over him and he felt called to go back. He felt a voice and urging to to go back to his father's grave. So he turned around and he listened to it and he went back. And as he stood there, he just was overcome with tears and with an overwhelming sense of love for this man who was his father, who he he had previously only ever felt hate for. And he had this really profound moment where he forgave him. He said to his father, I don't know what's coming over me right now, but Uh, but I love you. And from this moment on, I send you nothing but love and I forgive you. And um, he left the grave, you know, a hundred pounds lighter uh, and his whole life changed from there. That's when his career took off. He left the job that he was unhappy in. He left a marriage that he was unhappy in. He met my mom, had all these kids. His career took off. He wrote his best uh, selling, he wrote the best selling book of the decade of the entire seventies. So um, his whole life changed from that day, from, from that forgiveness that he was able to give to his father on that day. And in his book, I can see clearly now, which I read after my dad passed away, it's a autobiography, it's his, you know, sort of autobiography or memoir. And I felt called to read it. And meanwhile, I was searching for the meaning of this date. Anyway, he, in his book, he says, if you were to ask me what the most significant day of my life was, it was the events that took place on August 30th of 19, I think it was 76 or something like that. August 30th is the day that my dad died, you know? Oh my God. So he says in his own words, the most significant day of his life was August 30th in the 1970s. And uh, I, I just couldn't chills. believe it when I, just yeah, I couldn't believe it when I read it because I said, you know, wow, he died on the day that he declared was the most significant day of his life. And what does that mean? What is he telling us by that? And I felt like for me, what he was telling, you know, his children was um, August 30th doesn't mark the day that your relationship with your father ends. It marks the day that your relationship changes to take on a whole new meaning, because that's what he said about that day in his book about his relationship with his father. August 30th marked the day that it just shifted his really he he went from because he never knew his father so the relationship was always in his mind so it went from being one of hate to being one of love and um for us I believe it it marks the day that it doesn't go from hate to love but it goes from physical to non-physical I love that and yeah and it also I mean forgiveness became love and forgiveness became the crux of his career you know forgiving yourself forgiving other people um 
flow, going, flowing with love, all of that. That's really what his work boils down to. And it, he learned it in the first person on that day. And I just think it's so incredible that, um, you know, it just made me know that these things are on purpose and they're not for us to question because when you lose somebody, you question it. Or I did at least. Oh, I mean, yeah. I was, I think yeah, I was 25. Did. Yeah. I just kept thinking like you, you know, I was only 25. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids. I was still in school. Like, how could you leave me so young? I still need you things like that. And then you, I read something like that. And I just think, I have the tools to do this without my dad. This was already written. You know, it's not for me. So profound. Question. Wow. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. And, and you're right. I mean, nothing is really coincidences. I kind of feel like we've been taught that by society, but everything is really, you know, like you said, like that divine alignment and that real synergetic, you know, what your father speaks about and that frequency of what exists within our universe. And, you know, and it's, it, it's so powerful when you tap into that. I mean, even for me, when I started seeing the two, two, I didn't get it. And then I went to see a medium and they said, well, she died on 222, right? And I said, oh, wow. oh my God. And I, it didn't click until they said wow. it to me. Well, she, they're showing me twos. And then I looked at them and I said, and what is it? And they're like, well, twos is, an, you know, those are angel numbers. So there might be significance around it. And I said, but when you add that up, you know, it's six, obviously for those that know numerology and they, what, right. what does that mean to you? And I'm like, I have no idea. I was totally clueless. I was like, so confused even by the two 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 and so I was like right. oh. so I went home and it took me over a year to like figure this out and after my own research I figure out like one of the main roads that my mom would always drive myself and my grandmother down to go pick her up and just drive back and forth all the time with our memories in the car was route six right. up. wow and I was like See, yeah it's it's so and then it just like it just led to so many other things like that other people shared with me that then added back up to those numbers and it was just like so much and it's like wow you're right there's so much on purpose it's really not to be questioned we question because as humans like in the ego and in our mind we we're taught question but it's like no because we we don't understand we can't orchestrate these events we don't understand so we have to question them and that's okay it's normal but just learn to transcend the need to know how that's happening and just go with the flow because i i think that um your life can be so improved when you surrender and flow yeah, Those are like my that. mantras lately. Yeah, I, I love that. The surrender and flow. I think you're right. I think it's when you, when you trust, right? You really mm-hmm. trust. You have to have that trust. You switch, like you said, and you, you shift completely into a completely different space and a higher consciousness of, I'm going to just trust what's coming. I'm going to just trust where I am versus I'm going to fight and keep feeling the resistance. I'm going to keep trying to control, which is actually the opposite of how we were created. You know, we're taught right. trust. We're taught and like your father speaks about of the knowing of, of love, of that vibration, of that frequency of who we are at the you know core. And that was like one of the first things that resonated for me with your dad. When I started listening to, you know, his, his I am affirmation, the, the morning and night affirmations changed my life. It was like, oh my gosh, like I am all these things. I knew this, but right. somehow I forgot this. And now this is reminding me, you know? And right. I think, like you said, when you shift into that, when you transcend, I love that you said that because it is there for all of us. It is available to all of us. When we allow that to happen, it's there, mm-hmm. you know? And, and right. I, I just, I love all that you shared. And, and you know, I, I appreciate so much you sharing so much of your own stories within your dad and his stories and, and everything. I just think it's so powerful for others who really need it right now. And, you know, I mean, as we kind of wrap this up, like, 
Obviously, I'll have the book in the show notes and everyone obviously seriously you should go get it because it's so powerful and so amazing. But before I let you go, like, what would you want people to kind of know about the knowing? What else would you want to leave us with? I mean, thank you so much for this powerful conversation today. I literally have like chills and tingles. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll just leave you with one thing that's also been resonating with me a lot lately. Uh, cause it's like, what do you do when you're not in the flow? You know, cause it's great when you are and everything's going right for you. But what about those times when you're not, um, and things just seem to be going wrong. And, uh, there's a story that my dad or just something he used to talk about when we were little that I always remembered. And, uh, my dad was an avid tennis player and he would talk about how there were times in his games when he would be, you know, playing with an opponent and he would get into this flow. He would get into this rhythm with his tennis where every ball would be in and he would get it just in time. And it, you know, it looked like it was going out, but boom, it would land just inside the line. And like, no matter how well his opponent played, he just kept getting the points. And he was just, it. and you see that when you watch sports, I mean, all of a sudden a basketball team, just they're making these shots that seem impossible that five minutes before they weren't, it's like they go into this unconscious space. And he said that he would get that way in his tennis games and it would just feel so good. You know, you feel like you're invincible and everything's going right for you. And he said, that's all great when that's happening. But then there are times when that starts happening for your opponent <laughs> and <laughs> then it feels crappy because you're just losing. And no matter what you do, you're trying so hard. And, you know, it's like you trip over your own feet or the ball goes out by an inch and, um, and it's just so much, it's, it feels crappy. You know, it's like the opposite of that feeling. It's like you're, then you're trying. And I think sometimes when we try to get back into the flow, like it, you create the opposite effect. It's like, you're trying to control and you're, you're again, resisting what's happening. So he said what he found for him in tennis, what he could do to tap back into that place was that when his opponent was in one of those places to find genuine joy inside of himself for his opponent, to be wow. just as excited for him that he was experiencing those uh, that sort of energy that he was for himself when he was experiencing it. And having those feelings would catapult him back into that place. And, you know, we're not always playing tennis. So how do you do this in real life? And I think it's just go out into the world when you're not feeling good. Go out. You know, I live in New York City, so I go downstairs and I see a million people. Just give someone a compliment. Make somebody else feel good. You know, uh, do a good deed, just do something nice, be of service to somebody. And when I do that, uh, and you'll see for yourself too, when you do that, you feel good again, by even though what's going on in your life is not making you feel good, doing a good deed for somebody else, even if it's as small as a compliment, you know, which takes one second, um, you start to feel better and you shift that energy back into a play where it just flows into a higher energy versus where you maybe were before that flowing backwards going you know away from that positive feeling that we're all seeking so that's what I try to do I have a sign on my door that says make other people feel good because <laughs> my dad was really big into um I want to feel good I want to feel good and I thought well, that's all great when you're feeling good but you can't always feel I mean I don't always feel good you know so but that uh has helped me a lot just I make somebody that. else feel good yeah, I love that. And I love that you said again, that shift. It's like you instead of I like, you know, like instead of being so in your own shit, essentially shifting it and being like, I'm gonna be yeah. happy for someone else. I'm gonna give that positive energy because it's like we know that, you know, the energy is like attract and we know that we all, you know, whether you're conscious of it or not, energy is a real thing and it moves mm -hmm. and you 
the more you do give out that positive, the more you're going to receive it back. And the more, like you said, that you right. in that miserable, the more it's going to be that, you know? And so I love that. And I mean, I know you kind yeah. of shared already like different quotes, but could you share maybe a quick quote from the book that maybe like to leave us with like one of your favorite, you know, quotes in the knowing that, you know, for others that are going to go check out the book that they could kind of leave with today. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't know any direct quotes, if I'm being honest. I mean, one of, we quote a lot of other people and we quote my dad a lot. Um, so the, one of the ones that really resonated with me was uh, from the Tao, you know, there is no way to happiness. Happiness is the way. And I've heard that quote a million times, but there was one day where it hit me and it was after my son was born. And I like I had bought into this whole idea that I wasn't going to be happy when, once I had a baby because my life was going to be hard and miserable. And I was uh, just sitting there thinking, I heard that quote and I thought, I'm I'm so happy. And even though my life is so much harder now and I'm not sleeping and I'm not getting to do the things that I necessarily want to do. And it made me realize that, you know, there is no way to happiness, you know, staying single and living and traveling and doing whatever I wanted was not the way to happiness. Uh, I bring the happiness to what it is that I'm doing. And happiness is the way you bring the happiness to your journey every step of the way, even when it's hard, even when it's different than what you expected. Um, bring that happiness because that is what turns a tragedy into an opportunity. Um, and it's not, not even if it's not a tragedy, just a hardship, just a hard day, you know, that brings it, changes it into an opportunity. Yeah. I love that. Well, I love all of your, you know, your reflections and the vulnerabilities around this and how you created the knowing. And this was just really honestly magical. And I appreciate you sharing Thank so you. much. Tell us, of course, for where you can find you and follow you as well as we can get the book and everything, of course, will be in the show notes. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was so great to this flew by. I can't believe it's been an hour. Um, so my Instagram is um, sage.dyer. My name is spelled with a J, S-A-J-E, because my parents wanted to make my life more <laughs> difficult. No, I'm just kidding. Um, and I'm on Facebook, Instagram, sagedyer.com. The book's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere you can buy a book, Audible, all of that. <laughs> Amazing. So thank you for having me. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for being here. And, you know, anyone listening, I hope that this really not only like lit you up like it did me, but I hope it really helps you to tap into your knowing and knowing that we all can access this. We all can be in the higher consciousness and that we truly actually, you know, want to be there and that that's really where God intended us to be. You know, that's how we were created, you know, and, and this book, the knowing really kind of speaks to that and finding your own knowing within that and how to flow and how to surrender as Sage said. And so I hope you find your own beautiful surrender and continue to be the lights in everyone else's lives along with yours. And Sage, thank you so much for being here. Oh, thank you. Thank you again.